OTB Sports Rugby. 1 to 15, everyone's got a role to play in terms of breaking down the opposition, but it's an enjoyable attack to, to be involved in because we all like to play rugby and get our hands on the ball and stuff like that. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. We're going to say good morning to Keith Wood. Keith, good morning to you. How are you? Uh, good morning, Chair. How are you getting on? Yeah, good. Before we get into the rugby, we should talk about um, a couple of, of notable uh, passings that have happened in the last week. The rugby community was completely shocked by Tom Tierney's passing. And then um, a, a legend of Munster in Ireland passed away in the last 24 hours as well. Yeah, Brian O'Brien. I mean, we seem to be having too many of these conversations, to be honest. Um, uh, for Tom first, I mean, Tom was a total shock. Uh, 46 years of age is... He's far too young, and um, he had, he had he had an unbelievable impact actually in in Munster. I mean, he was I played with him uh, for for a few years with Ireland and with Munster, and uh, he was pure crack a scamp. I mean, absolute crack all the time. Um, and of course, he played with Gary Owen for a lot of years as well. Um, but it was his impact on a lot of the young kids. And, and I know it from my own uh, two youngest um, as a um, an Irish coach and, and Munster coach in, in the development of the young players. And a lot of them came out in force yesterday and will again, I think, tomorrow um, at, at the funeral. But um, the impact he had on the young fellas, he just he had a joy of the game. He lived the game. Um um, they've all been heartbroken, actually, as as have we. And uh, you know, you kind of get used to it when you're a bit older and can deal with it. But when you see the anguish on young men's faces when um, when someone that had influenced them so much passes away, so it's look, it's a huge loss, huge loss for for Mary and his two daughters. Um, and it's yeah, very sad. Uh, Brian O. Brian is different. Brian is older. Um, I'm smiling because I just think of so many parts of his history of of where they intersect with my own. Um, he was an unbelievable, proud Shannon man, um, crazy Shannon man, and um, became a crazy monster man, became a line selector, Irish selector, president of Shannon Rugby Club, um, manager of Munster, manager of Ireland. And I was in the change room the day he he decided to sing um, Stand Up and Fight for the first time. I, I could be getting it wrong, but I think it was after um, after a Saracens game, in, in but I can't remember for, for certain. And I mean, for him to belt out a song like that and hold the whole team and it became part of legend. And um, um, look, I just think it's he was a huge servant to the game, but also he was a huge presence. He was fantastic with Ireland as as manager. Um, worked incredibly well with uh, with Eddie O'Sullivan. Was fantastic with Eddie O'Sullivan back in the day. Um, but yeah, very important man for. I will admit, very important man for rugby. Um, very important man to us too. He was a he was um, he was a cracking friend. Yeah, beloved of everybody in that Irish setup and all the generations who got to work with him, I think are actually echoing your sentiments this morning. So we'd send our condolences to the O'Brien family as well. Um, let's let's look back briefly on the Italy game before we look forward to the Scotland game. Um, it's one of those where Italy are getting loads of credit for how well they played, and and rightly so. And the Ireland team is heavily depleted. So, in terms of the lessons that you draw, 
uh, that are like deep seated and that you're still thinking about in three, six months time beyond the squad depth and now as the dust settles is there much for Ireland that they're going to be like okay this is uh, fundamental to how we do our business in the future or is it more like we, we're understanding more about everything here this is just a layering on of extra information that we have yeah I think I mean you've, you said a lot in, in, in that question I look I look back on the, on the game um, and think we were shorn of a lot of players I think Italy have improved an awful lot and and, and look in times in that I've been I've been so downheartened um, disheartened by um, by Italy's performance in the last few years that they might have a couple of good players would come in and they try and play with a bit of um, a, a bit of additional width and flair but they succumb to their discipline problems and uh, maybe lack of fitness this year they look entirely different and yet they're not getting the wins so that's very tough for them that wins in the in the autumn but not in the six nations so um i think they're on an upward uh, trajectory and i think they're incredibly dangerous and that's one of the big parts uh, for them they've become incredibly dangerous um we were shorn of a lot of players uh I've, I've said often i just think our structure is um is a really good fallback um so I looked at it and I think the performance was good it could have been very good um um you know the the try just before half time kind of changed things a little bit it took us a long a long while to fight for it um for the for the victory I think there was a risk um and I thought we came out the other end of it. So I don't think I'd be entirely happy with the performance, but I would have said that the performance was good enough just about to get the win um, away from home against a team that was fresh and uh, filled with some level of um, um, of uh, consistency and composure with the exception of the four-on-two overlap. Um uh, the Brax kicked into the corner. You know, that I mean, that could have changed things an awful lot. But yeah. I thought a lot of players stood up, played pretty well. Um, but it just also shows you that there's a, the the differences in the quality of some of our players um, when they're not there has a drop of a few percent. That few percent can can mean passes don't go to hand where they're supposed to. It can mean everything is off ever so slightly. But I think the game is invaluable for for Ireland. You know, like I think they would have earned a huge number of lessons and won. Yeah. And um, there's times we learned lessons lessons when we when we lost, <laughs> and that ruined half the season. This is know? a better situation for sure. It's definitely a better situation, and and those lessons will definitely be absorbed. James Ryan did a half an hour interview with Joe Malloy, and again, you can get that in our podcast feed. And in the middle of it, they were talking about the decision not to kick the points. And um, Ryan makes the point, like, you're talking about uh, outcome, we we think about process, and when the review is had, we'll ask, was the process right in our decision-making to kick for the corner? He made the point that the first one wasn't a gimme kick for Ross Byrne, and Henderson, whose job it was to call the line-out, was confident they were going to win the line-out, um, and eventually they do get kicked the points anyway. So uh, it, this is from a, a really nice philosophical uh Position where we get to debate whether or not it was the right thing or the wrong thing, and I I was asking the question on the show yesterday. Um, 
does your process have to allow for the information to change in the moment? And I guess specifically I'm asking, is the process always, look, our, our decision is that we are going to win games by scoring more tries than the opposition and that's fine. It worked really well in New Zealand and that's kind of the, the bit where they, they stop ticking points and they just kick to the corner because presumably the analytics says the more you kick to the corner, the more often we're going to score tries and, and eventually we'll wear them down. But is there is there a moment in a championship like this or in a World Cup qualifying pool where those points and the victory are actually more important than the process of overwhelming the opposition with the, the scoring of the tries? And I just am interested in your perspective as a captain. Yeah, I don't know that it's it's necessarily as binary as you put it out as if you do one thing or the other and there there can be the risk. I, I would look at the the process that's put in here is built on the confidence of a very large number of players. So um the process requires people to be able to um to deliver on those parts that have to be delivered to make those decisions correct. You know, and not everything sits in your in your hands. It, it isn't as if you can do everything you want um, without the opposition trying to stop you. So um, I think as confidence gets higher and higher and higher, I think that's where the idea of the process works. I can't fault that. Um, I can't fault that thinking. Actually, I can't fault it when. Uh, when it's pushing us to levels that we haven't been before. I think at times it becomes uh, kind of scary for fans, actually, to look at it and say, Jesus, no, just kick the ball over the bar. Um, but in that moment, in that time, with the trust that the players have in each other for the delivery of the skill that's required to to get the the score that they're looking for, I think they're right. I think they're confident. I think it's a... It seems to be not an eradication of doubt, um, but an eradication of maybe poor technique a lot of the time. And so I think that depends on who's on the on the, the field at any moment in time. And um, if we were to try and read something into James Ryan's comments, it's that the team believe in the team and the squad, no matter who's on there. I think that's where your conversation comes in. Um, um where it, it may be actually you're better off to kick the points at certain times. But you'll know that on the field and you'll gauge it with the, with the you know, there's, there's that spark of confidence that's on the field that may not be visible from off the field. Um, and when that is there, you'll say, yeah, definitely we'll kick in the corner because we're all up for this. We're all in the right mental space to be able to make this happen. Everybody knows their job. So, look, I, I like it. I, I'm... I'm kind of enthralled at the moment with watching um, Stokes and um, and uh, McCollum and Basball and cricket that they've totally changed the manner in which they go about it. And they took a risk at the weekend or over the last few days and 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 lost by one run in one of the great games of cricket. And but they could have comfortably made it a draw very very easily. Um, but they went all out to do it. And in that instance, I think they learn an awful lot about themselves and whether they do things differently or not. I don't know. So, um, but I like that. I like the fearlessness that seems to be in this team. And I hope that would continue because, um, like we talk about our history in times past of not getting past a quarter final and. 
to be interesting to do a sort of psychological review on all of those. And was there too much of a fear of failure in the midst of that? Well, this is a team that seems to be comfortable with winning. And that's a very different landscape for us. Yeah, you could probably do a thesis on Ireland's quarterfinal performances, I think, at, at, at World Cups in years gone by. The, Keith, when you're, when you're on that, you're talking even the cricket as well and, and tight games. Andy Farrell will, be, will have been quite pleased that it was maybe a tight win. Leads to certainly no complacency going forward. Um, were there any negatives in particular that, that you might have picked out from the performance last weekend? Bundy Aki comes to mind as someone who was um, quite upfront and honest about his own performance after the game, maybe referencing a lack of game time, maybe showing up in defence a little bit. Was there anything that you touched on, Bundy's performance in particular, that, that maybe left a little bit to be desired? Yeah, I'd look. I would look at... Uh, it's funny, I'm trying to get my head around this entirely as a team performance. Um, and when you highlight uh, Bundy in that instance, he's not, I I don't think he's a natural defender at 13. And I think 13 is an incredibly difficult place to, um, uh, to play and defend. And I think at times we overlook the quality of Gary Ringrose over the the last uh, number of years that we never really talk about our defense in that place for the most part, because it seems to be sealed off comfortably. And, so I also think you have a player playing out of position. I think Bundy's more 12 and I know it's only a subtle uh, move out, but it's defensively you're far more exposed. That doubt makes it very difficult for him. <clears throat> um, it's great to hear him kind of say that he doesn't, he didn't get to the point of where he wanted to be. Um, but we need to find our, our, second 13 and you know for the most part we know that Henshaw can play there but we've had a huge number of injuries in that space so that puts us under pressure um, that's where we're looking for we're looking for um, I, like I, if we look at other players I thought Ross Byrne played, played pretty well um, he still isn't a threat like Johnny is and he is for Johnny's picking the right decision at every every moment but I thought he grew into the game. It was his first Six Nations start. I mean, I mean you can't, you could can be quite churlish um, criticising guys who um, are trying to reach a height. And so uh, I'd be looking at trying to get those players as further up that tree that they possibly can. But we will end up with players that are absolutely brilliant and the guys in two and three behind them may not be as good. And we have to deal with that accordingly. So, so for me, I'd be happy with the win. Um, and uh, but you know, I think we've we've fallen off too many tackles. Um, but I think that's also part of how Ireland are trying to play. They're, they're playing wider, looser, um, uh, with a huge amount of pace. And that will always end up with different uh, different gaps in the system. And then when the ball is turned over, you, you know your players are not in the, the the ideal position to make the tackle or to or to you know or to defend properly. So I, look, I'm I, look. I think you have to be careful for looking for perfection when you've seven or eight changes to a team. And I guess the other thing is that you've also got to be careful looking for perfection because it doesn't really exist. I mean, when the best New Zealand team with Carter and McCaw won the World Cup in London that time, beating Australia in the final. There were times along the way where even that team, which was clearly the best team in that World Cup, and, you know, there's an argument for them being the, the greatest of all the teams that Australia, that New Zealand have produced. They didn't have it all their own way because this is 
big time professional sport where there is endless amounts of analysis being done on even the best players' weaknesses. And so, like, if if we are going to go and do well in a World Cup, there's going to be a lot of tricky, dark moments that we've got to get out of. I think that's valid, and it's the difference between excellence and perfection. Um, you, you know, you want people to be to perform excellently, you know, and different people have a different level of what that is. And um, when you look at, at what, what we've kind of managed so far, and um, I also like the fact that they go one game at a time, they're not really thinking of, of anything else really. And they're looking for that level of performance that is excellent, you know, and um, and that's what the, that's what it has to be because you have to, when you make a mistake, you have to forget about the mistake. Um, I just think this mentality of a team is a bit different. It seems to say, oh, well, we've made a mistake. We're not going to be berated for it. We're not going to berate ourselves for it. Let's just go and do the next thing really well again. And I think that makes a huge difference. So, look, I like. It's funny. I was trying to do a, my view of what I thought of the Six Nations so far, and I thought there's there's the brilliance of the French players of so many of the French players, there's a brilliance of those, there's a brilliance of Finn Russell in Scotland and other players are, are rising as well with him. But for Ireland, a lot of it's the brilliance of the team and um, how people know their jobs and the standard of performance just seems to be consistently incredibly high. So I thought we had a high level of of play um, and I thought it was a really good performance on the basis of seven or eight guys being gone. Yeah. It used to be that we would have a knock-on every 10 or 15 minutes. So that's what it felt like watching. And now, whenever anybody has a knock-on, you're like, how did that happen? <laughs> well, that never happens anymore. Yeah, and my God, there's a scrum. You know, thought yeah. those, thought, I thought those days were gone, you know? And it's uh, What it's is this thing? Yeah. <laughs> Come here, um, the Scotland game, right? Uh, we had Tom English on yesterday, and Scotland are feeling themselves at the moment. You know, they've, they've finally got... A load of their injury problems have passed. The out half has a working, if not good, relationship with Gregor Townsend. Townsend has kind of let it be known that this might be the end of his time there, but he might be able to be convinced to stick around. It looks like Scott Robertson's going to get the New Zealand job, so maybe he won't be available to take the Scotland job. And uh, with all of that kind of happening in the background, Scotland are in our group in the World Cup, so this game is massively important for all sorts of reasons, not least of which is actually we might get a home Grand Slam if we win it or we'll certainly be playing for one anyway so uh, in terms of big occasions Ireland at Murrayfield sometimes it's a big occasion but this time it's absolutely giant yeah I I, I just I, I love watching some of the teams play I love the pressure that's happening with some of them uh, you understand the carnage that's happening in different places like with Wales and England sacking their coaches before Christmas. Like that, that just throws everything into confusion over there. Scotland have had a high level of consistency. Um, they've got some really good performances for about five, six, seven years. I mean, I watched Scotland with the BBC for a long time. I used to go to Edinburgh for, for nearly every one of their games. They lost nearly every one of them. You know, they had a, they had a period of time where it was terrible. Um, which we'd had about 10 years before that. So, you know, um, but when you look at them now, they, uh, I don't, I think they're, they're unbelievably reliant on Finn Russell. 
Um, I think he pulls the strings in a in a, a real kind of hero type way. That's it's all based in around him, um, and he has the ability to to pass the most sublime passes to drop the ball off to another player that you can't even see the pass happening to kick pass better than pretty much anyone. His goal kicking is pretty fantastic. Um, it is a, it's a huge game for us, but for me, I look at our team and again, where our brilliance sits is around the structure. And if we get all our players back in and they're up to scratch, our job is to negate Finn Russell and see how um uh, you know see how Scotland are able to react with with him being put under pressure if we get our defensive line up well there's a good chance that Finn will pass um um a scoring pass for them and for us yeah because he is always looking for it's not always boom and bust he's technically excellent um but he will go for it and he knows he has to go for it. And actually for Scotland, he has to go for it. He can't play a conservative um, style. He can against certain teams, but I don't think he can against Ireland. So, but I think it's going to be a cracker. And, and I've, I've looked at the, uh, you know, when you're enjoying the, the rugby at the moment, I'm not enjoying Wales and, and, and England. I'm not enjoying the manner in which they're playing. And um, for me, it's just, it's a bit boring. Um, there's a bit too much kicking. And, um, but when you look at Italy trying to go from everywhere, France having just so many unbelievable players, uh, Ireland playing so well, Scotland playing well, they're great games. I mean, we've looked at some of the, the, the some of the great games in Six Nations history. France, Scotland last week was phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, briefly, Keith, just before we let you go, just wanted to touch on the kind of the news that came out this morning, last night on New Zealand, and uh, what their uh, situation in terms of a head coach is going to be. So uh, uh, they will have a new head coach essentially after this year's uh, Rugby World Cup. Ian Foster will not be reapplying for the position. I guess Scott Robertson, the number one name in the frame. Jamie Joseph being mentioned as well as a, as a potential replacement. What do you make of all this? Uh, and I guess the announcement this far ahead of the World Cup. Well, there was rumours came out two or three weeks ago in terms of Ian Foster getting peeved with people talking about what's happening after the World Cup. And he said, Jesus, will you just concentrate on the World Cup? And let's just not have any conversation about that afterwards. I think the announcement last night was a way of drawing a line in the sand so that this consistently doesn't go up and uh, come up. Um, uh, I think he's an un under unbelievable pressure, as is New Zealand after the results of the last year. They have, um, they've had, like for them, dreadful results. So, um, look, it's a, within, in terms of rugby, I never like these kind of chats that happen beforehand when a coach is kind of going to go or not go. They want to go under their own steam. He will now be going under his own steam. Um, they'll be hoping it does stop all the conversation and doesn't destabilize the team further before the, the World Cup. Um, but we are kind of happy enough listening to this that while teams that we're playing against are, are kind of struggling somewhat trying to get their, their house in order when our house seems to be pretty good. Um, uh, don't get too excited by that because those things can fluctuate very quickly. Yeah. But, um, look, I, for them, it's just trying to tidy up. The, all the conversation so they're not talking about it for the, for the next nine months alright Keith great stuff thanks a million for joining us cheers cheers gents OTB AM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar 